Good morning, friends. If, uh, if you are new or visiting with us this morning, my name is Cameron. I'm the pastor here at Conduit. Um, we love seeing you. And uh, I, you, know, you, you may not know this or you may know this, but you, uh, you are not here on accident. <laughs> we have been praying for you. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, honestly, some of you we've been praying for by name. Um, and, uh, but we have been praying for you. We continue to pray for you. You're here on a great Sunday. Um, this is our third week in a row of uh, baptizing people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, who are surrendering their lives uh, to him, who are wanting to go public with that decision. And, um, and, uh, and, and proclaiming that in the waters of baptism and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are being made new. That the old has gone and the new has come. And uh, so we're grateful that you're here this morning. We pray uh, that you are blessed in community and in worship. Um, okay, before we go too much further though, I do have a few announcements for us. Just like a few housekeeping things. Youth group that was normally scheduled for tonight is canceled for tonight. And so we'll just pick up the normal schedule afterwards. So there's an FYI there. Also, next week is Father's Day. Okay? Um, so you're welcome for those who have forgotten. Um, yeah. <laughs> the next week is Father's Day. Now look, um, here's what we're going to do. All right? We're going to have two kind of like special eventish like things here for Father's Day and the first one is um, we are going to encourage all you fathers to dress in your best dad outfit okay so like white New Balances with the grass stains on them right high white socks um, like jean cargo shorts cell phone on the belt right um, you know, the, the leather-weaved belt, you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the basket-weaved belt. Um, socks with sandals, I don't care, like rock it out, okay? Your best dad outfit that you can possibly, if you need to carry a grill with you, I don't care. Like your best dad outfit, okay? So we'll have, we'll have a display of the best dad outfits up here. Some of you just dress like you normally do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the second thing, all right, the second thing is that we're going to have a, um, now, against my better judgment, all right, against my better judgment, we are going to have a dad joke contest. Okay, a dad joke contest. Now, if you don't know what a dad joke is, it's like, um, yeah, it, uh, Google it, or it's like, um, hey, Dad, I'm hungry. Oh, hi, son, I'm Dad, you know. Um, those types of jokes that only dads can tell. Um, bad jokes, basically. Now, here's the thing. It will be, we, it'll be a contest, but all dad jokes must be received and approved by me before <laughs> worship starts. Vinny, you are not allowed to participate. Uh, 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 <laughs> Uh, but in all seriousness, put them on a note card, give them to me before worship. I will give you the thumbs up or the thumbs down. 
and then we will have a little dad joke contest next week. We'll also have, uh, I think we're planning some things like a pizza bar or chicken wings or something like that. So come and have fun, celebrate dads um, with us next Sunday. Okay? Other, any other announcements? I don't think so. All right. Um, okay. Let me, um, let me center us in prayer for a moment. And then we're going to dig a little further into the word. Actually, Bryce, would you come pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you for this place. Thank you for this beautiful morning, Lord. We spent some time in worship to you, Father. You are worthy of it all. We fix our eyes solely on you. Father, I pray a blessing over Pastor Cameron as he has prepared um, by the direction of your presence, of your Holy Spirit. I pray that that word not be hindered as it comes from his lips to our hearts. Holy Spirit, carry that into the core of each one of us as you need to speak. Father, we worship you through, your, through music. We worship you through word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a copy of the scripture with you this morning, you can open it up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. If you don't have a copy, there should be one in the seats with you. We'll also have it up here on the screen. You're welcome to, there's a, a tab on the Conduit Ministries app that has a Bible on it as well. You can go there and grab it. If you're flipping through a book and you don't know where Luke is, Luke is um, one of the Gospels, and it is uh, the third Gospel. So if you go like to the middle of your Bible, you open up the middle, then you go right. Okay, when you hit the New Testament, you're going to hit Matthew, Mark, and then Luke is the third of our Gospels this morning. I'm going to read to you the whole section of Scripture, and then we'll, um, we'll backtrack on it and uh, talk a little bit about it. Okay, so Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And when a sinful woman who had lived, or when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought with her an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man here were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men 
owed money to a certain money lender. And one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven loves little. He who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This, uh, this question that the guests asked at the end of this, um, this little story here uh, is a, a question that at some point or another we all need to wrestle with. Whether we... Um, say it in that way or not, they essentially asked the question, hey, who is this Jesus guy here? Because he is proclaiming the forgiveness of sins to someone. And like, well, only God does that, right? Only, only God can forgive sins. If you, if you look at the gospel of Luke up until this point, what you'll see is that Luke, the writer um, of this gospel, is making a case for who Jesus is. And he's making a case for who Jesus is in comparison to other religious leaders or other figures during that time. Uh, for instance, in just the passage before where we were in Luke chapter 6, um, uh, there's this whole section about John the Baptist, about the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. And the big question is, is like, who is greater? Is John the Baptist greater or is Jesus greater? All right. And now coming into this particular story, you see this almost comparison. It actually is a comparison. We'll talk about that in, the morning, in a minute. Between another religious leader of the day and uh, a Pharisee and his attitude towards um, uh, a woman who instead has lived a sinful life and the way and, and then Jesus attitude towards a woman who has lived a sinful life because then the the kind of the implicit question that kind of flows underneath them all is that uh, in this whole story is that like uh, typically uh, the world some religious leaders included have a very specific way that they interact with minister to 
think about or speak to those in the world that are considered the most dirty, shameful, and sinful, right? And the question is, is Jesus any different or is he just the same? Does Jesus rewrite the eternal narrative of God's relationship and heart for those who wear their sin on their sleeve? Because I think we can all, from a, you don't need to be a theologian to understand that there was two people in this story, one that wore their sin all out on their sleeve, right? The sinful woman. That's how she was known. We don't even know her name. And then there was the Pharisee or the religious and righteous person, right? Who was no less sinful, but who was doing all he possibly could to hide, to conceal, and to be like, um, to wear like his righteousness as a badge of honor in comparison to those who were simply just sinful. So Luke, really all throughout his gospel, but specifically here in this first section, goes about establishing how Jesus is different. How Jesus is different both than the world, how Jesus is different than like any form of religious judgmentalism, or any, um, any, any like established system that pushes people to the outside of the world. When we begin to look at, uh, when we begin to look at the difference between the way that this woman was acting and the way that the Pharisee was acting, we, it, the, the differences are absolutely stark. In verse 37 and 38 of the scriptures that we read this morning, it paints the picture of the woman's posture, and the posture was one of reverence, humility, um, honor of Jesus, and ultimately, at its base, was a worshipful posture, right? We'll read here what happened with the woman in verse 37 and 38. A woman who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. And so like if you, if you get this picture of what the, posh, the physical posture of this woman must have been in that moment. right? In, in uh, typical Jewish homes or courtyards where they would have been having this meal, the um, the guests would lay at the table, usually on their like left, um, on their left elbow facing the table, feet facing out. They would recline, okay. And um, those who were allowed to be guests but not eat at the table often lined the outer side of the room, like they stood against the stood against the walls. And so, this woman 
whether she was invited or let herself in, it doesn't really matter, was in a posture where as she was weeping, right, her tears were falling upon Jesus' feet, and then when they were wet enough, she was taking her hair, right, and wiping them, which means where was she? She was not standing, right? She was on her knees, right, with Jesus' feet right here, weeping at his feet, allowing her tears to fall, and then using her hair as a way, as a way to clean them, as a way to wipe them, taking then the alabaster jar of perfume that she had brought and anointing his feet. And the response of the rest of the room, we don't really know, but we know the response of the Pharisee in this moment. When the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw this, listen, this is a detail that I do not want you to miss, okay? Said to who? Who did the Pharisee say this to? Jesus in the room? No, he said it to himself, right? What was the monologue? It was an inner monologue, right? He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Paraphrasing, right? I know, I know who this woman really is. Jesus obviously doesn't. If he was this holy prophet and teacher and Messiah, like others were proclaiming him to be, or like he was proclaiming him to, um, himself to be, he would know how sinful she really was, and there is no way that he would be allowing her to touch him. This first, right, gives an indication about what this Pharisee believed that the heart of God was towards sinful people, right? That there was this, that there was this gulf of separation that God was creating or wanted to create between those who were unholy and between he, him, the, you know, the, the really righteous and religious people, the one that got all of their stuff together, the one that can dot every theological T and cross every theological I or vice versa, whatever it is, right? But they were proclaiming, like he was making a theological statement in his own inner monologue about what he believed the relationship between holy God and sinful humanity to be. And he was like, listen, God wants nothing to do with that. What is often, or what is striking to me about this little, like, how Luke records that the Pharisee said this to himself, um, is that we, me, chief of all sinners, okay, we, me, often have, um, even in our justified, sanctified state, have this mentality, it's okay to think things about other people, as long as you don't say it. Right? Like, I... 
Yeah, I can see this person's life for what it is, and it's, it's all on their sleeve, right? And I, 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 know what, I, I know how they're living, and I know how far they are from God, and I know what they struggle through and I, or with, and I know what they're going through, and, and uh, man, like, jeez, I can't believe that they are in church this morning, because I know them, right? It's, it's safe. It's okay. As long as I think it, but I don't say it, I'm, it's still okay, right? Still okay with Jesus. Was it okay with Jesus here? No, not, not okay with Jesus because, hey, I, I got this, I got like news for you. Jesus doesn't want to just like reform your speech. Um, Jesus wants to like dig down into the root place where your speech comes from and transform your heart. So it's not... So it's not a matter of thinking it but not saying it. It's a matter of the, the immediate response that we have when we encounter someone whose life we know is not in congruence with the gospel is thank you, Jesus, for bringing them closer. Thank you, Lord, for working in their lives. Lord, Lord I, I pray for transformation in, in their lives like you have transformed, like you have transformed me. And it is not lost on Jesus when our hearts are turned black against someone, not just our words. Because Jesus, in his sovereignty, right, in his divinity, he didn't have, he didn't have to say it out loud, right? The Pharisee didn't have to say it out loud. Jesus knew, and Jesus hit it head on. Listen, even our silent judgments do not escape Jesus. It doesn't matter how silent your judgment. It doesn't matter how, how reserved your judgment, right? They, it does not escape the ears. It does not escape the notice of Jesus. He sees it. He knows it. Now, now understand it like, I want you to see also that in the moment of Jesus recognizing the silent judgment, that Jesus still was incredibly gentle and merciful with, with the Pharisee. More so than he was with other Pharisees, other religious leaders in other Gospels or, or in other instances. But he was incredibly gentle. He sought to like turn the man's perspective and the heart rather than lambaste him in front of everyone, he, he kind of lays it out for him in almost this, like, Sunday school-type lesson or manner, right? But watch what Jesus does here in verses 41 through 43. Jesus answered him, Hey, hey Simon, Simon, I, I've, I've got something to tell you. Now, I want to ask you a few questions, Simon. Oh, oh, tell me, teacher, he said. So, like, let's just say there's two guys. And, um, and one guy um, owed the money lender, um, let's see, it's 500 denarii. A denarii is one day's wage, so one day's worth of work. Um, owes him 500 days' wages. Uh, and the other owes him 50. But, but neither of these men have the capacity to pay back the debt. So the money lender 
cancels both debts. Now, just hypothetically speaking, Jesus says, which person do you think would be more appreciative of the debt being canceled? The one that, that owes the 50 or the one that owes the 500? Well, Simon, I think, like, kind of answers Jesus like, I, I mean, like, really? Like, well, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt canceled, he says. Yeah, 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 you have judged, you have judged correctly. What Jesus does here is he, he takes the situation that's unfolding, okay, and he takes the different responses, the response of the sinful woman and the response of the righteous Pharisee, and he links all of that together with a short little lesson about forgiveness. This short little lesson about forgiveness where he tells this story about like, well, this one guy had a small debt. This other guy had a big debt. And they were both forgiven and canceled. Who then, who do you think is more appreciative? Who do you think, who do you think like is like, better off because, and the answer was perfectly clear, but it was clear to Jesus that Simon the Pharisee was not seeing the vast difference in the response or the, re the reception um, that he got from the Pharisee and the reception that he got from the woman because then Jesus goes about to like open it up, open the eyes of the Pharisee up, Right? Jesus is essentially here for everyone in the room comparing the Pharisee with the sinful woman and then asking the question, hey, who is acting more, I guess you could say, appropriate in the presence of the one who has canceled the debt? The reality here is like, it, it, well, it seems at least that the woman in this situation, came to the dinner prepared to worship at the feet of Jesus. Now, we don't know this for sure. It does not state it in the text, right? But if we infer a few things about what is happening here, we can get a picture of why the woman comes in the way that she does, finds herself at the feet of Jesus, and it and it brings some theological explanation to, um, to what Jesus tells her at the end of the story, which is, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Okay? Now, it was not necessarily common for women to carry around alabaster jars of perfume with them on the regular. Okay? Now, would make more sense if the woman knew or saw that, that Jesus, whom she had likely previously had an encounter with, had extended the grace and mercy of the Father to her, that she had like received forgiveness from Jesus, saw that Jesus was coming again and being like, this, it's my Savior. 
He's here. Let me grab likely the most expensive thing that I have, an alabaster jar of perfume. I'm going to get in that room. I'm going to get at his feet because that's where I, that's where I belong in this moment. See, I think that the woman came to the Pharisee's house that night intentionally knowing that Jesus was there, intentionally going to worship, not to beg for or receive mercy, not to beg for forgiveness, but to worship at the feet of the one who had already shown her mercy and forgiveness. That she went already as a forgiven woman, understanding the depth of her own depravity, and went intentionally ready to weep and worship and anoint and praise at the feet of the one who had freed her. You see, she came that day knowing who she was, or at the very least, knowing who she had been. But, but even probably more importantly, she went that day knowing what Jesus had done for her. She worshipped and wept at the feet of Jesus, not begging for mercy, not, not desiring attention, but because she in that moment was surrendered and humbled in the face of the grace of God that had been extended to her in the life of Jesus. That it caused, that it caused a specific, that the, that the mercy of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus caused a certain response in her life and the, and the depth of her previous depravity motivated the extent of her worship because she was keenly aware of what she had been saved from. She knew. She was, she was not confused at all about where she stood with Jesus. She was not confused at all. The only person that was confused in that room was the religious person who thought he had no reason to worship at the feet of Jesus. Here's something that you need to hear, right? Because we all fall kind of like in, on, on different places in this imaginary social scale that the world creates. Social position does not position you with Jesus. Social position does not position you with Jesus. You don't get closer to Jesus because you're a good person, with a good job, from a good family, in a good neighborhood, with a good future, from a good family. Everything about this story shows that social position had nothing to do with your like standing and reception and relationship and closeness and humility before Jesus. It had nothing to do with that at all. If you are relying on your social position to get you closer to the heart 
of God, you are not going to find Jesus anywhere near you. Because what it appears here in the story, that the offer of an extravagant meal that had at its foundation spiritual pride was much less desirable than a sinful woman who had nothing to offer but humble tears. That is what Jesus wanted. That is what Jesus gravitated towards. That is what Jesus lifted up as one who has been truly forgiven for their sins. Because then Jesus goes on to compare the reception that he got from the Pharisee to the reception that he received from the sinful woman in verses 44 through 46. He says, um, do you see this woman, Simon? I, I mean, I came into your house. You, you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wept and wet, her, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but, but she has poured perfume on my, on my feet. She has anointed me. And so, like Jesus says, hey, look, um, all of these things that you didn't do, right? All of these things that she did do, right? And what were they indicative of? Well, if the woman's action is indicative of her keen awareness of how much she had been forgiven from, and it motivated her to worship, then the inverse is likely true, right? That the Pharisee had no ability to see the depth of his own sin and thought he had no reason to be at the feet of Jesus in worship. See, because they each responded to Jesus out of their own experience of forgiveness. The woman's experience of forgiveness was a keen awareness of how far she was from Jesus, and so she knew that the gap that Jesus filled between her and God was eternal, and therefore it demanded her absolute worship. The Pharisee, having worshipped Jesus not at all, but being only suspicious of others, showed that he had zero awareness of the, of the depravity of his own soul, and so felt like he had no real reason to even have to worship at the feet of Jesus, because at least I'm not as bad as that woman. You see, the Pharisee thought that he needed less forgiveness, so he worshipped less. Well, listen, listen really carefully, okay? If you have little motivation to weep and worship at the feet of Jesus you may not have rightly weighed the depth of your own sin and the magnitude of the grace extended to you in Christ Jesus.
if everything is, well, at least I'm not as bad as. Or I don't need as much forgiveness as. Or I am. Listen, we, we talked about this last week, right? Um, and I will say it for as many weeks and as many years and as many generations as I am blessed to preach the gospel, it is this. We are not generally good people who just need a little bit of spiritual tweaking to get all of our ducks in our row. Okay? We are genuinely, genu generally and wholly depraved, sinful, broken people on breakneck speed towards separation eternally from God. We don't need a little bit of tweaking. We need full-scale saving from Jesus. The only thing that is good, the only thing that is good in me is Jesus. That's it. And so, and so un until I, I come to this place of, of allowing the Holy Spirit of God to fall fully on me in conviction of who I am, what I have done, right? What I think, what I say, the desires of my flesh, and allow, right, the, the blood of Jesus and the work of Jesus and the, and the empty tomb of Jesus, right? Transform who I am from the inside out. I will always be looking at others as, well, at least I'm not as bad as that. But listen, if you are willing to come to a place where you can see and believe and accept that Jesus desires humble tears of worship in the sight of our sin and in the light of his grace so much more then he is impressed with this prideful sense of, I really am just not that bad, so it's okay. Not impressive to Jesus. And dangerous to your soul. We are all the sinful woman. All of us. But you know what? We are all also the Pharisee. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is not requiring from you a religious perfection that makes you just like get your ducks, just, like, like do a little bit of work on yourself, right? Uh, so most of you know that I'm a, um, I'm a martial arts instructor, right? I, te I teach Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been doing that for, been teaching for over a decade now. And I, can't, I cannot tell you how many, how many uh, men and women over the last, you know, decade have, have come to me and be like, oh, yeah, I really want to do that. Um, I, I really want to get involved in that, like, come down and, like, learn a new skill and exercise. But, you know, I'm just, like, I am so out of shape. 
So I'm just going to go get in shape first, right? And then once I'm in shape, then I'll come exercise, okay? Um, and, you know, it's similar in saying, like, what Jesus had said, hey, is it the sick or is it the well that need a doctor? Or is it the sick? Right? Listen, we don't get ourselves clean before God and then come to Jesus because now we are worthy to worship at his feet. Yeah. Um, the place of healing is not out there with like Oprah's book club, right? Right? The, the place of healing, the place of forgiveness, the place of mercy um, is the feet of Jesus. And, and what he desires is not the pridefully religious who think they have it all together, but what he desires actually is the um, holy, broken, depraved, know that they don't have their stuff together, absolutely have maybe walked every road trying to find a place to get all their stuff together and have ended up at the end knowing that the only one that can save them is Jesus. And that is who we are here and that is what we are about. Not make sure you Make sure you're all good, right, before you come in here. But, like, um, I mean, like, I don't care how bad you are. This is the place. It's, like, purpose-built for the bad people here. And, 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 and our desire is to proclaim to you that the brokenness of your life hopelessness of your life, the darkness of your life, the trajectory of your life can all be changed in a single moment of surrender where you ask Jesus to put to death everything that has been leading you at a breakneck speed towards death and allow him to bring new life to your, to, to, to your life. And, and every, I don't, we, I will baptize people every week for the rest of my life. I don't care, right? It's like, because what happens in the waters of baptism, um, and we'll begin to transition here in a moment, right? Um, actually, let me, I'll give you the, you haven't been here so far, I'll, I'll give you the, the 411. In a minute or two, we're going to ask those of you that have kids to um, exit. Go get your kids out of Conduit Kids. Listen, please don't leave them in there, okay? Because we have, we have some kids who are being baptized this morning, all right? And I want Conduit Kids up here to see the testimony that other kids are giving to the trust that they are placing in Jesus for their salvation, okay? So 
Don't leave them down there. Please go get your kids. Bring them up here. All right? Um, and then we'll we're going to transition the whole thing um, to the back of the room, okay, for baptism. Um, and in a minute, I'll, those of you who are being baptized this morning, um, I'll excuse you to go, get, to go get changed. I will go get changed. Um, and uh, then we'll meet in the back, okay? But listen... <clears throat> there's often a question of like, and we've talked a little bit about this, like, there's often a question of, well, man, I, I really want to be baptized, or, or my child has expressed interest in being bat baptized after seeing the testimony of others who have been baptized, but, you know, I, I'm not going to do that yet because I'm not sure I... I don't really understand yet, and I, my kids don't really understand, and I'm sure there's a lot of information that needs to be like communicated and disseminated and about, about baptism, and I, I just haven't... Listen, if I said this once, I've said it a thousand times. Baptism is not the prize that you get at the end of a perfect score on a theological test. Okay? It is not the culmination of you coming to Jesus, and now you have experienced and received theological perfection and can go under the water, all right? Baptism is the moment, right? It can be a moment in the, in, at the end of your walk with Jesus. It can be a moment in the middle of your walk with Jesus. It can be the first step in your walk with Jesus, okay? The very first one. It is the moment of surrender where you say, Jesus, I proclaim to you and to everyone, right? That the old me has been put to death. And Lord, I trust that coming up out of the water, I am coming up as a resurrected new person. The old has gone, the new has come, right? And the Holy Spirit is in me. Okay? So listen. That also begs the question, well, like... I kind of feel like the Holy Spirit's doing something in me right now, but I have, I like, and I, baptism is something that I, I need to do, but I haven't done it yet, so can I, like, make an appointment to maybe talk about being baptized? Well, you can, or you can be baptized today, okay? You can be baptized today. Um, if, if, if you desire to surrender your life to Jesus and say, I am, I am, I am done walking my own direction. I am, I am ready to be led by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am ready to make that step. We have clothes for you, okay? I have shorts. I have t-shirts. I have towels. You can be baptized today whether you are prepared to or not. If you are one of those people, that the Holy Spirit of God is moving on your heart and life right now, in this moment, today, to be baptized today. Um, you're going to see... John Staley, can you raise your hand? John Staley, can you raise your hand? See John right there? He doesn't have, doesn't have any idea what he's being volunteered for right now. <laughs> but there is a tote of t-shirts and shorts right there, and if you 
need a change of clothes so you can be baptized today because you want to be and you do not come prepared, John will get those for you. Um, you can, <laughs> and you can go back and get them, okay? Um, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Those of you who are being baptized today can head out um, to get dressed. Meet me in the back. And then when we are ready, we will all meet in the back, okay? Let me, um, as they're coming up and as we're moving about, want to offer a word of prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit would fall afresh in power, in conviction, and in truth. Lord, and that the, the power and the truth of your word would go deep into the hearts of every man, woman, and child hearing my voice this morning. That your word would sanctify, justify, and renew. Lord, we thank you this morning for the testimony of grace, the testimony of forgiveness. And we pray, Father, that you um, would bless us with your presence this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Hold on just one second, okay?